Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right, I'd like to just ask you to bow your heads for a moment as we come to the Word of God this morning. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place, and we acknowledge your presence. We thank you that where the presence of the Lord is, there is fullness of joy. There is perfect peace in your presence. There is no fear in your presence. There is no lack, Father God. For you are our El Shaddai, our God of more than enough, the one who provides all our needs, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, materially. And so, Lord, we come to you, we look to you this morning to speak into our hearts and minds, Stir us up and encourage us by your word, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. <clears throat> Folks, we're living in difficult times. <clears throat> Turning on the news these days is, is a difficult business. Because we hear we're, we're inundated right now with a war that's taking place in the Middle East. Fresh news this morning, Iran has said that they will be fully supporting Palestine. Israel has got all kinds of guys supporting them, and this thing just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We've almost forgotten about the fact that there's a war going on in Ukraine as well. We hardly hear about earthquakes happening in Afghanistan, thousands killed. Politics is more divided and more divisive than it's ever been. And it just seems wherever we look, things are shaking. Wherever we look, there's trouble, there is turmoil, there is pressure, there is stress, there is strife. And we can say, you know, Lord Jesus, are these the signs? You said that these things are going to happen just before you come. Is it time? And I want to encourage you folks. Um, in fact, let's just take a moment now because of this escalating situation in the Middle East, the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and of Israel. And I want to just do that now. Father, as we just as a family here together, join together, we want to pray for the situation that is happening in the Middle East, Father, and we want to pray for your mercy over that entire situation. Lord God, every life is precious in your sight. It doesn't matter what affiliation it has, whether it considers itself Palestinian or Israeli, it doesn't matter. Uh, all, in no, none of these things matter to you because life in your image is precious to you. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you died for all mankind. And so, Lord, as this situation in the Middle East seems to be escalating, Father God, we want to pray for the breath of your Spirit to bring peace. We want to pray, Lord God, for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray and commit the leaders to you, Father God, and we pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that you would give them your wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom that brings peace, the wisdom that allows and causes mercy to flow. And so, Lord God, we commit that situation into your hands. Every life, and we pray, Lord, for the peace in the Middle East. We pray for your mercy over them all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so not only do we see these things, these wars, these situations, 
We see ideological agendas being, being, being thrust on us, being pushed, being, trying to shift moral ideas, trying to shift um, the, the, the essence of what we and the Word of God has called right and good and what it is called wrong and evil. And there's this mixture that's come in that makes good seem evil and evil seem good. There's hostility towards our God and towards what we believe that is only growing and growing and growing. And the fact is that if we focus on these things, it's very easy for our hearts to become burdened, to become overcome or overwhelmed by fears, by anxieties, that what they end up causing us to do is to shrink back. Because that's what fear does, doesn't it? Fear prevents me from wanting to engage with the things and the world around me. They cause me to want to shrink back they intimidate us, and they cause us to wonder, what, what should I do? What could I do? How do I handle the situation without any measure of clear direction, without faith, without any boldness? Let's rather stick in the shadows. Let's not stand out. But in the midst of all of these things, in the situations we are in, not just globally or within the political ideologies or all of these things, but just within your own family, within your own workplace, within your own friendship circles, God calls us to have a heavenly perspective. God expects of you and I as His children to see things the way He sees them, to consider what is going on the way He sees what's going on. Isaiah 55 says, His ways are not our ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are His ways above our ways. And so we understand that when I say this, I'm not talking about a natural perspective, a natural point of view, taking things in a natural face value as you would as one would say. Now, this different perspective doesn't mean that we deny the realities that we see around us. We're cognizant of them. We're dealing with them. We're confronted with them every single day. But what it does do is it causes us to place our hope and our expectation elsewhere. And so no, we're no longer looking to these things to determine our future or our outcome or our experience in this world. We are looking at a God whose son had a triumphant resurrection, who gives us hope every single day that there is a life beyond this one, that there is a greater purpose and a greater plan, even in the midst of the most adverse circumstances, even in the midst of trials and struggles. And in order to navigate the challenges that face us, we need to see things from God's perspective. And so what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start at the very beginning of the chapter. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, which is probably one of the most famous sermons ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of people say that in some ways this sermon is the manifesto of the kingdom of God. It's the constitution of the way Jesus governs, of the way he sees things, and of the way he does things. And first thing that Jesus does is he puts you in your place. Now, when we'd like to put somebody in their place, we generally like to remind uh, sit down. We like to remind them where they belong. We like to tell people, oh, no, no, you think you're so great, I'm going to put you in your place and I'm going to show you that I'm greater than you or you're not as important as you think you are. But yet when God puts us in our place, instead of pushing us down, He lifts us up. And He seats us where? in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He says, you are my child, you are my son, my daughter. You are beloved. 
Everything I have is made available to you. Your place is royalty. You are called to rule and to reign as my representative here in this world and on this earth. And so the first thing we see Jesus doing, let's read it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened up his mouth and taught them. He opened up his mouth because it's very difficult to teach with your mouth closed. Saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, every time you see this word blessed or blessed, it's a Greek word. It's the word makarios. And it's the word that is, it, it contains a lot. It's not just sort of a, you know, like we say today, oh, bless you. We say goodbye, blessings. It's not just like little things that are added to our lives. The word makarios is an overflowing word. It talks about a blessing that is abundant, a blessing that is continual, a blessing that keeps on working. It's a blessing that is all-sufficient. It's more than enough. It's overflowing. It is utterly, thoroughly blessed, lacking nothing, whole. You understand? So when Jesus is saying, all-sufficiency in this blessing, I speak over those, first of all, who are poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit are utterly, wholly, completely overflowing, blessed, catered for, and sufficient. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? It's those whose reliance is on God. There's no trusting in self, no trust in self-effort to make this thing work, to have to carve out my own plan or to cause that things go a certain way. I trust in God. I'm poor in spirit, therefore I trust in His and His might. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the midst of our loss, in the midst of our pain, there is a presence and a blessing that comes from God that is all sufficient. You know, I used to preach from a place of faith, not experience concerning the Scripture, until this year when I lost my dad. And I understand, I've always said that there is a blessing and a presence and a comfort that comes from God that we only get to experience when we suffer true loss. And I'm glad to tell you it's true. It's true. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? It means to be teachable. It means to be willing to yield. It's the opposite of being obstinate or stubborn and insisting on your own way. But those who are willing to yield to the Spirit, those who are willing to learn, those who are willing to follow instruction, the Bible says, will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, God will satisfy your heart. He will satisfy the hunger. He will fill you with Himself, because He is righteousness. Blessed are the merciful for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In other words, blessed are those whose hearts have been purified by Jesus. This is our perspective now. As the new, This is before the cross, you see. From our perspective of the cross, blessed are all those whose hearts have been purified through the, by, and, by and through the blood of Jesus, for we have access to God. We can see Him. We can know Him in a living and an intimate way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What was the ministry of Jesus? It was the ministry of reconciliation. 
the ministry of making peace as the Son of God. And you and I today have the same ministry, the ministry of reconciling hearts to God and even helping reconcile hearts to hearts. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus calls them blessed. Blessed. He goes on to say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Seriously? Did, did that scripture somehow come from copy and was pasted in the wrong place? How do we, in the midst of these kinds of trials and attacks, how can we be rejoicing and exceedingly glad? It says, For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. You can see by what we've just read that the perspective, the point of view from which Jesus views all the things that you and I consider to be trials, consider to be the hand of the enemy sometimes, consider to be affliction, consider to be suffering, he says, in the midst of all these things, I call you blessed. Blessed. Fully, completely, overflowing in the midst of what you're going through. Now, generally, we're so busy complaining, the word blessed doesn't come out of our mouths. I don't have enough, or I've got all these things to have to deal with, or do you remember what so-and-so said to me, and why do I have to put up with these? Oh, woe is me. But yet, in the midst of these things, Jesus says, hold on, I don't see it that way at all. I'll listen to you moan, but I'm not going to do anything. You know what, often you say, how are you doing? He says, oh, you know, it doesn't help to complain, no one's going to do anything. I say, you're right, I'll happily listen, but I'm not promising you I'm going to do anything. I think that's what God does sometimes. He says, you want to complain? I'll listen, but I've already done everything. I've already done everything. I already call you blessed. I already call you provided for. I already call you healed. I already call you whole and strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Your problem is you just don't see it. You are still looking from a heavenly perspective. And so we can see that Jesus looks at things very differently, and He never promises to deliver us from these trials. Did you notice that? When you're poor, when you're meek, when you're suffering, when they're persecuting you, when, you, when you're mourning, you're going to have to go through that, Jesus says. I'm not going to deliver you from it. Rather, he alludes to the fact that both his glory and our blessing lies in the way that we choose to navigate the seasons we are in. His glory and our blessing, our perspective and the way we go about it. But he also promises us that he will be with us and in us through it all. John, I'll just quickly divert, so don't lose your place. John 16, 33 says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. So this whole idea of the fact that, you know, Jesus saved me and now everything's going to go well and my business is going to flourish. No one in my family is ever going to suffer sickness or pain. Everyone's going to love me. Everything's going to go well. Jesus said, I don't know what you're reading because I promise you trials and sorrows and suffering. What a wonderful gospel. You see, I told you I was going to encourage you this morning. <laughs> Jesus says you are going to have things. Why? Not because I send them to you, but because you exist in a fallen world, in a broken world, where, as we just say, people are at war with one another. There is strife. There are agendas that are being pushed there are 
powers trying to control and pull and manipulate and resist everything that is good and pure and holy. And Jesus says, you are in this world, but you are not of it. He goes on to say, though you will have many trials and sorrows, take heart because I have overcome the world. In other words, I know how to do it. I know how to walk this out in a way that brings life and brings glory, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. Now, very often our thought to that is, all right, Jesus, you're going to show me how to get one over on this. Yes, I'm going to show you. Right, what must I do? I want you to go to the cross. Now, hang on a second, Jesus. You said victory, right? He said, and he'll say to you, yes. How did my victory come? You see, you want to do the same thing the world is doing to you, and you think that that's going to work. And I'm getting an amen there. You think that's going to work. Yes, we're going to get it over them. We're going to force, push this kingdom thing. And Jesus says, you know how this kingdom works? Lest the mustard seed fall into the ground and die to itself, it produces no fruit, produces no harvest. You try and hold on to your life and all these wonderful things that you think you deserve, that's all you'll ever have. But he who is willing to lay down his life for my sake, take on my perspective, not only of what he is going through, but be willing to just lift your head long enough to look around and to consider for a moment what other people are going through. Then we have an opportunity for the love and the kingdom of God to begin working. Where I'm not just trying to have my needs met, I'm not just trying to have my situation solved, but actually I have a perspective that I am already so blessed so catered for that I have everything I need in God that I am now empowered to look at the person across the road from me, my colleague, my neighbor, my family member, and say, how can I help you? How can I love you? How can I make peace with you? How can the love and the mercy of God come into your life through me? How can I be a conduit for His grace in this situation? And as we begin to yield and embrace that kind of mindset, something interesting begins to happen. And we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5, the very next verse. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now this is a difficult portion of Scripture to read. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Let's just understand what's being, what the analogy is, is drawing from. Number one, Salt is salty. It is distinctive. You know when salt is in your food. Years ago, somebody played a trick on me. When I still had sugar in my coffee, they decided to bring salt in the sugar bowl. I knew it because it was salty. I put two teaspoons of salt in my cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. Talk about instant wrinkles. But if that salt wasn't salty, I would probably just have added more, gone on, oh, the sugar's not very sweet. There was a distinction. And when God says, you are the salt of the earth, God's saying, I want you to be distinctive. There's a few things that salt does, it flavors. It changes how things taste. It makes them taste better, generally. Most people under-season their food. I know the guys are going to be on at me on this one. No, no, we must have less salt in our diets. 
Yeah, it just doesn't taste like it. <laughs> Salt preserves. It, it prevents decay. It holds back the, 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 the processes that decay and cause things to go bad. So salt not only preserves or prevents bad things from happening, so in your situations where you are, God is calling you not only to prevent and to, and to, to, to set a moral standard to, 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 to push back or to resist would probably be the best word, the influences that bring decay and bring moral failure, but also to bring a flavor, a taste of heaven, because he goes on to talk about light. But he makes a very interesting statement here. And this is something, folks, we need to be sincere and honest about. He says, if salt loses its distinctive characteristics, its flavor, in other words, if, it, if, if it's like everything else that is around it, it's good for nothing, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. not popular to stand behind the pulpit and say, we have a lot of good-for-nothing Christians in this world. Because we, they look like the world, they think like the world, they do things the way the world does, they try and dominate and push their own agendas the same way the world does, they value being right, and they stand their ground militantly sometimes, they solve their problems the way the world solves their problems, their trust and reliance is in the same place the world's trust and reliance is. And so they're no different. You wouldn't be able to tell them apart at Sabrai because they're complaining about the same things. They bring no flavor that is different. The words coming out their mouth match and fit seamlessly in the puzzle of perspective that is being built within the social setting they are in. They just add their piece to the puzzle to create this picture of the boss that everyone's complaining about. Yeah, but I think this. And Whereas instead, they should be bringing in this puzzle of blue, the piece of red, and everyone goes, that doesn't match. And I say, I know, because I don't think about the boss that way. I don't think about that person that way. I don't think about the situation that way. You guys are celebrating this thing. Oh, they're getting their way over it. God's heart is grieved. There's a difference and Jesus is saying to you and to me, where I have placed you, I have not called you to fit in. That's why they will persecute you. That's why these resistance will come. These resistances will come. Because I didn't make you to fit in. I made you to stand out. I made you to be distinctive, easily recognizably different from everything else that is around. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, a light is both that which reveals and that which guides. What does light do? If you can't find something in the darkness, you switch on the light, and it reveals what's really there. But the other thing that light does is it guides. You know? You driving at night, you put your lights on. You can see the road ahead of you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But also, here's another thing that a light does. Just go back 2,000 years with me into a time where there was no ESCOM at all. Permanent load shedding, folks. And you're coming home from the field and you had that lost sheep 
and you took a while to find that one sheep, and you're still miserable about that one sheep that made you late for supper, which is going to be cold anyway because there's no stove, and you are on your way home, and what are you looking for? It's twilight, it's coming, you can't really see where you're going, there's no torches. The light that you see shining through that window from the lamp that's inside it is that which brings you home. You find your bearings and you know where you're going. It's a light that draws and calls to itself. And Jesus says, I'm making you the light of the world. I'm making you the ones who will not only be distinctive and show a completely different way, but you will also light the way. Your life will be a beacon that draws others to me. And your life will show the steps that I would have people follow and that I would have you follow. We ought to reveal what our God is like. He is merciful. He is kind. He is loving. He is gracious. That's the light that shines and draws people in. Romans, I think it's 2, says, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That's the light that shines out. But the light also reveals our deep need for, for Him in a broken world where there is little mercy, where there is little kindness. And we ought to point people to the source of our hope and our joy and our peace. He goes on to say, let your light so shine before men. You've got to let it shine. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now as believers, folks, this is for you and for me not only our greatest privilege, that the one who saved our souls can live and be seen in and through us. It's a privilege, but it's also our greatest responsibility. And I know that sometimes that can seem daunting. That can perhaps seem a little overwhelming because we are pretty well acquainted with our shortcomings. We are quite acquainted with those times, those attitudes where we know we are shining, but it ain't what we're supposed to be. We're shining something else. And it's helpful to remember that this is not based primarily on what we do, although obviously that, that is a reflection, but it really is about who we are becoming like or who we are as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, our Heavenly Father, like I said, promises us that He will be with us in and through it all. It's not your light you're shining, it's His light. It's his perspective. It's his way of thinking. It's his way of seeing and speaking into and acting in the midst of that situation that makes us different. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong, he says, and of good courage. Do not fear. Though you see all the stuff that's going on, though you're aware of it all, be strong and be courageous and do not fear. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And just two verses this later, he says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He's the Lord. He's, he'll go ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will be with you, and He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Oh, but that's Old Testament. All right, Jesus Himself, Matthew 28, verse 20. He says to His... He's now, just about to, he's died, he's risen again, it's just before his ascension, he commissions his disciples and he leaves them with these words. Be sure of this. I am with you always. 
even to the end of the age. So Jesus says to them, Guys, I'm sending you on a mission to be salt, to be light. Hey, you're going to be persecuted for this. It's going to be tough times. But in the midst of it all, I'm going to be with you. Even to the end of the age. So what ought we to do? I want us to draw instruction today from the Apostle Paul. How do we do this, Lord? How do we position ourselves in this way? Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, towards the end, he says, finally, in other words, this is his, his exhortation and his wrapping, as he's wrapping things up. Ephesians 6 from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His might and in the strength of His might. God never tells you to suck it up and must come on, cupcake. He says, I will give you strength. I will give you a strength that is beyond your own. I'm not asking you to just make it happen or to just endure as if it all rests on you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. How? By putting on the whole armor of God. Say whole armor. Whole armor. You've got to put on the whole thing. Any of you ever heard of Achilles? Mm-hmm. Whole armor. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So let's be clear. There are schemes of the devil against your life, against your calling, and against your purpose. He is working against you. But that no, let's carry on because we're like, what? That's pretty scary. Well, it depends. Let's carry on. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we're not trying to get one over on the next guy. We're not trying to prove our point or win this fight. But we are wrestling against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, let me just clarify this for you. It's really good to remember that your problem is not your spouse. Your problem is not your boss. Your problem is not your friend or the situation you find yourself in. It's not the politicians. It's not that person or what they did or said. There is more at play. And the way it's going to play out is determined by how it plays out in you, in your perspective. And that is the most important thing. And so Paul says, therefore, because of all of these things, the natural things we see, the spiritual things that we can't see, except for their manifestation, in the midst of all of these things, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. God has given you and I everything we need in this evil day, in this present darkness, to not only stand, but to stand firm. And the armor of God is like the mindsets that we hold to. It's based on what God says concerning our state. So let's go through them. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The truth, the truth, not your truth or my truth, or relative truth, truth. The truth of who Jesus is. The truth that God is good. The truth that the devil is bad. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate 
protects your most vital organs, your heart, your lungs, your liver. This area, kidneys, darams, whatever you want to call it, your breastplate protects this, primarily your heart. The things that go on in your heart. And God tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, as we stand in this world and in the midst of all of these things, to be aware of who it is that God has made us righteous in His image, in and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of us are so sin-conscious, so aware of the things that, are, that we've done wrong, or even our negative attitudes, that we forget the marvelous, miraculous work that Jesus has done on the inside of us. And yes, of course, there's room for sanctification and growth in the area of our mind and of our soul, but this idea of a breastplate of righteousness means that we can stand in the presence of God with right standing, knowing that He hasn't got anything against us, but that we are freely able and available to receive that which He has for us. And as shoes on your feet, having the readiness of the gospel of peace, this gospel of peace, this good news of reconciliation, and in all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Listen, folks, again here in this great encouragement, Jesus or Apostle Paul is saying, the darts are coming. The enemy will throw fire, not just darts at you, fiery darts. But he says, you've got a shield of faith with which you will quench them. In other words, your faith will render them null and void. You know, some of you like the sci-fi movies. Get the shields up, and you shoot the weapons, and then pew, 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 it bounces off the shield. The shield quenches them. That's exactly what he's saying. Our faith in Jesus and in the all-sufficiency of who he is and the finished work of what he has accomplished causes those fiery darts, those accusations, to fall flat. Think of it this way. Think of a courtroom with God as the judge. You... Uh, and across the aisle from you is the accuser. And he makes accusations against you. Some of them are lies, some of them are true. And he says, oh, look what he did. Look what she said. Look how they behaved. Look at their lack of, of faith and their lack of trust in you as the judge. And God says, you know what? All of that is paid and accounted for. Despite every accusation and despite all the evidence, I call you righteous. And if we believe that, that faith causes all the evidence and all the accusations to be quenched in the faith that Jesus has forgiven us yesterday, today, and forevermore and has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. That doesn't mean we cannot still sin. That doesn't mean that there is not need from time to time to repent and acknowledge things that we have done wrong. But what it brings us into is this place behind the shield of faith which protects us. And take on the helmet of salvation... In other words, the thinking that you are saved. The word sozo, salvation in Greek, once again, it's not just that you are saved and you're going to heaven. It's the wholeness, it's the completeness of the finished work of Jesus, the all-sufficiency of His blood sacrifice. And the sword of the Spirit, with, which is the Word of God. So take up the Word, put the Word in your mouth, the Spirit of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all supplication and prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for the saints. Folks, Paul gives us the wisdom, the simplicity of our strategy 
in how to maintain the perspective that God calls us to have in the midst of the situations we face. Remember what Jesus has done. Thank Him as we come and we spend time in His presence daily. Spend time thanking Him for His forgiveness. Secure your own mental self in your sonship or daughterhood to the God of all creation. Thank Him and praise Him for the all-sufficiency of His sacrifice that that even if you were to die today, if things went that bad, that you are caught up in His mercy and His grace and will be immediately in His presence. And as you affirm those things in your own heart, we can get instruction and light from the, world, from the Word of God. As we pray in the Spirit and have Him bring illumination to those things we've read, have Him bring grace and power and strength to our souls to go out and to shine that light and to live out this perspective, we begin to partner with Him. We begin to get to know Him. We begin to learn, begin to learn the, the unforced rhythms of His grace that, require, that enable us to be the salt and the light that He calls us to be. How we manage what goes on inside us will determine how we come through the trials and the tribulations we face. Did you get that? It's what goes on inside it's the faith, that it's what you believe, and it's the way you engage with it that will determine how you come through these things. Where the Prince of Peace reigns, there is perfect peace. Even in the midst of adverse circumstances. And thus, the necessity for two things. Time in the Word and prayer, and getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit. Learning to discern His voice. Because that is simply what Jesus did. When we follow the example of Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see the ministry, we see the cross, we see the miracles. But we spend very little time focusing on how much Jesus separated himself from people to be alone with God. And he says things like, I have not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear Him saying. How? Because He spent time in the presence of God. He had learned the voice of the Holy Spirit and could follow Him. When He came up against resistance and the enemy was tempting Him, trying to get Him to sin and to fall, He used the very word that He has given us. Thus it is written. It is written. This is what God says. You see, you and I, in the midst of where we are saying, Jesus will say, as, he, as you continue to read through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, how many times does Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. I want to say to you today, you've heard it said, there's a lot of things, oh, the country's going this way, the country's going that way. Oh, this is happening and that is happening. But what does God say to you? What does God say to you about your state? What does He say to you about your future? And as you get hold of those things, they become like armor, like a helmet, like a breastplate, like a sword and a shield with which you make a way and carve out a path through all the mess and all the muck and makes you distinctive. It makes you the person who, when you enter the room, you're lighting the room up, not because you're vivacious or if you've got this wonderful extroverted personality, because you literally bring light. It comes in the way that you make people feel about themselves. It comes in the way that you make peace 
and you show love and kindness. It comes in the way that you sacrifice your own convenience for the sake of being a blessing to somebody else. There are so many ways that we can do this. There are so many ways that God calls us into this. But the key is we need to know what the Word of God says so that our perspective is right. Our perspective is His perspective. And so that means we've got to spend time in it. And this, this whole month of Proverbs, Wisdom Month, is a great way. I mean, we need to spend time in all of the Word, but we're giving ourselves to Proverbs right now. And boy, are we learning how God thinks. Are we learning wisdom? And this is really good stuff. But beyond that, making this life and light, making this come alive, giving it vitality in our hearts, is the person of the Holy Spirit, who we so often neglect. We thank Him for His presence, but we seldom listen to what He has to say. And so that's what I'd actually like us to spend a bit of time doing now. I want to lead us in a song or two of worship. And in the midst of whatever your situation is, I want to kind of zoom. We've zoomed out and sort of looked macro. I want to bring this right down to where you are at right now. And whatever it is that you are grappling with and what you are struggling with, and maybe it's things you're trying to let go of or people you're trying to forgive. Maybe it's a need or a situation you have and you don't know what the answer is going to be or what it's going to be like. God is here. And when we come to Him and acknowledge Him in worship and bow down before Him and say, You are Lord. Speak to me. He will speak, and He brings peace, and He brings clarity, and He brings insight. So I want to ask you, would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.